Welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Sawcox. In this week's edition of Insight, we're living Groundhog Day all over again and again and again and again. We interrupt your scheduled podcast, turn your attention once more to business interruption. We can't get past COVID and how it affects the workplace, if you remember those things. And then we realize there is more to the news than COVID. Hello, everyone. On our panel today are publisher Terry Whitmullen, managing editor John Deeks, and deputy editor Wendy Pugh. Hi, John. How are you? Very good, thanks. If you had to live the same day over and over again, what day would it be? I suppose I'd go for uh, Christmas Day. Either that, either that, or um. Ah, oh, and I thought you were going to be referring to the Ashes. Either that, or when uh, Ipswich Town won the FA Cup in 1978. But yeah, because I was only one then, so I didn't really get to enjoy it. <laughs> Oh, hello to you too, Wendy. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you, Andrew. Good. What's your Groundhog Day? Well, I'd like to say any number of days where I've been on holidays in some exciting location. I'd like to relive those. Excellent. So possibly not something too memorable recently. And welcome, Terry. Good morning, Andrew. Uh, And my Groundhog Day is right now. You sly, slick old dog, you. Uh, Okay, so on to this week's (laughs) top stories. And it's still all about BI again, with the delayed second test case kicking off in the federal court. Wendy, you were listening in. What are your thoughts on the opening exchanges? Well, there was no preamble or opening summary uh, um, of the insurer's position overall. So they just jumped straight into the first of the cases, which related to a CGU policy held by the Tap House Craft Beer Bar and Restaurant in Townsville. So some of the issues raised will be common across multiple claims, um, while there are also arguments specific to each one. So, for instance, in the case of the Tap House, the um, policy talks about an outbreak um, of a disease within 20 kilometres, and the lawyer was saying, well, an outbreak is multiple cases around the same time with community transmission, and they're just, in his words, there just simply wasn't an outbreak in Townsville for the purposes of the policy. And Queensland health orders, you know, were driven by the situation elsewhere. They weren't driven by what's happening in Townsville in, in their arguments. Um, then they raise other issues as well. Um, but, you know, when you have claims from businesses in Melbourne and Sydney, there's going to be a whole other other issues will be highlighted. So it's just a matter of, you know, they're going through all, all of these nine claims and an extra one from QBE. So there's going to be quite a lot to get through. John, this wasn't the only business interruption legal battle we reported on this week, was it? No, far from it. Uh, we also reported on a class action that's been launched against IAG, apparently on behalf of thousands of policyholders. IAG says it doesn't know the full details yet, but notes that it it is already participating in the second test case, which it says is the most efficient process to resolve these issues. Slater and Gordon, which launched the action against IAG, disagrees, saying that insurers' tactics so far have been to divert, deny and delay, and that the class action objective is to get claims paid as quickly as possible. We also report on the Star Entertainment Group case, which insurers won in the federal court, but which is now subject to an appeal. So that one rumbles on as well. It all seems to be coming to a head, Terry, but the industry will just want this to get past it now, won't they? I think so. In fact, really, they need to get past it. Um, It's been dragging on for a long time, and I'm sure the people who bought the policies feel much the same way. The stakes here are very high for the insurers, and they really have no choice. They, They never really had a choice, but to continue on until some sort of conclusion is reached. And really, when you when you look at it, these appeals, 
you know, the law is meant to grind slow and extremely fine. It's not the insurer's fault that this has taken this long. This is the way that the, the judicial process works. Considering their um, sort of financial announcements in the last couple of weeks, a lot of the insurers have actually sort of put aside amounts for this. Should it still matter to them that it's uh, that this is ongoing? Yes, I do, I do believe they should. You know, you, you can't just give away money. You're not the federal government and JobKeeper. There is no reason at all why you should ever pay a claim that you don't have to pay. The, in other words, the claim is outside the understanding of the policy. So, no, I, I think insurers are doing what is the responsible thing by their shareholders. Well, still on COVID, our analysis this week focused on how industry workplaces will adjust to a post-pandemic world. John, can you go through this with us? Yes. So the Insurance Council hosted a webinar under the title, The Future of Workplace Experience in the Insurance Sector. And we listened in and there were some fascinating points made by the panel. ICA COO Kylie McFarlane, who hosted the panel, says COVID has forced the industry into the 21st century and that it's now accepted that you can be anywhere and still do your job. Of course, what this means for the multi-storey office block is very interesting. And IAG's Bernadette Holloway told the webinar that it it was expecting a 40% reduction in corporate office space. The insurer says it's aiming for just 10% of employees to be always working in the office. And this would be due to their specific role requirements. 30% would work permanently from home and the remaining 60% would take up a hybrid working arrangement. Well, what do you think, Terry? Is this hybrid working here to stay? Or uh, will we all be be ordered back to the office as soon as it's safe? The senior people I've spoken to on the subject, and there have been many over the past 18 months or so, started lockdowns believing everybody would be back in the office in a matter of weeks. That's matured to an acceptance of now what's called the hybrid office. And the analysis in yesterday's bulletin, I thought, reported on this extremely well. And what you are going to see, as as John has mentioned kindly, that you are going to see that that workforce in many ways splitting away from the belief that the only place to be is in the office. It has changed. And the really the hybrid arrangement is going to be the one that you're going to see an awful lot more of in the future. I don't necessarily agree with Ms. McFarlane that this is dragging the insurance industry into the 21st century. I think it's dragging every single industry into the 21st century. And what about the concept of out of sight, out of mind? Do you think managers will subconsciously favour those that are in the office more often? They see them, they can see, you know, how busy they are appearing to be? Um, Look, that's a really good question. Um, We're certainly seeing a fair bit of discussion about it at the moment. Let's remember that we're talking here about a massive change in, in work and lifestyle patterns that have evolved over the past couple of hundred years. So that change, we shouldn't be surprised, uh, is throwing up a a lot of new challenges. I'm sure we'll hear accusations of favouritisms in promotions. We always have. Um, Companies will have to adapt to dealing with the sort of insecurities that will develop among team members working from home. It's going to require procedures and practices that are transparent, that's for sure. John, are you comfortable to leave Pod HQ, re-enter Earth's orbit and uh, land back on Earth back in our office? Yeah, I think with this one, everyone's personal lives 
just to sort of dictate what they would prefer to do. And I think, yeah, personally, I have a long commute and I don't mind skipping that every now and then. And um, I'm sure a lot of other people would be the same, but there's certainly an energy that a team gets from working in the same office from time to time. So I don't think the insurance industry is going to lose that aspect of working all together. We know from a joint letter published last week that insurers want to see the country move past lockdowns, don't they? Yeah, Allianz, IAG, QBE and Suncorp were among some of Australia's biggest companies putting their name to a letter calling on governments to stay the course uh, on plans to open borders as vaccination thresholds are met. Um, And as IAG says, many industries are challenged by water restrictions and, and natural disasters certainly don't stop at borders. Um, and there are all sorts of demands from just trying to get people and materials where, the, where they are needed. Uh, the, the letter, which was uh, driven by the Business Council of Australia, um, also highlights just the general impact of lockdowns on small businesses and communities and, and people's wellbeing in general. Well, moving on, Taylor Fry has released its annual radar report. John, and it's not all about COVID, is it? No, it's not. Um, this is a really useful report that comes out once a year and gives class-by-class commentary on the general insurance industry uh, or market, should I say. So um, Taylor Fry says that while the last financial year was a big improvement in terms of profitability overall, some major challenges remain. And many of those are linked to COVID, like the plunge in travel insurance and increasing numbers of workplace psychological injury claims. There are positives too for the industry, such as reduced claims in motor insurance that have been fairly widely publicised. But one major issue flagged in the report that isn't really to do with COVID is householder insurance. It says despite year-on-year premium increases, this class still isn't profitable for insurers. Increasing the frequency and severity of catastrophic losses, Taylor Fry says affordability of this type of insurance is set to become a growing issue. So Terry... On home and contents, are we heading for some sort of reckoning with profitability issues remaining, but premiums already unaffordable for some? Well, look, Andrew, it's not just about affordability for the consumer. It's also about sustainability for the provider of the insurance. And as Taylor Fries pointed out, this is this is one mean little uh, piece of insurance that that is not making a profit. I think John mentioned 103%. It's not huge, but it it also means that things are getting slightly better from the insurer's point of view. If personal lines insurers lose money thanks to rising claims, and that's mainly associated with climate change, then they have no other choice than to raise the price to reach a proper balance between the cost of the product and the profit they need to survive. And from what I'm told, home and contents premiums in most of Australia are now much closer to the technical level that they should be at to make those products sustainable. Look, insurers are betting on technology to strip out some of the costs, but they need to do more. Really, we should be designing more flexible personal lines products instead of adhering to the old ways of doing things, because this is a market sector that's absolutely ripe for disruption. Well, how does our home and contents and personal lines compare with you know the rest of the world? Are our premiums a lot lower than everybody else, and it's uh, it's it's being corrected, or uh, or is through economies of scale, is that the opposite of being true? There's so many different arrangements and so many different ways that that uh, insurers work with with uh, regulators, etc. In the US, for example, each state has its own regulatory mechanism, which means there's fifty 
51, in fact, different lines of regulation for insurers if they want to be a national insurer. So you can't really compare like with like very easily. All, all you can say is, is that all insurance should be able to, to make a decent enough profit that the company can, can thrive and survive. Uh, and if that's not happening anywhere, then it needs to be attended to. It's not a charity. Well, finally, the Dive-In Festival is happening later this month and local registrations have already gone past 3,000. Which of the local sessions catch your eye, Wendy? Well, I think you could jump in and randomly pick any of the sessions and really and find it uh, interesting and worthwhile. Um, and there are usually a lot of highlights um, from people just, you know, sharing their, their personal experiences. So there's a wide range of sessions uh, this time around the theme of um, allyship. Um, and there are sessions around uh, gender, creating a positive impact for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, and the uh, critical role of active LGBTQIA allies, um, and also uh, sessions relating to the current COVID situation, such as how remote and hybrid working can help or harm the diversity and inclusion. Um, so, there, you know, there's a lot to choose from. And John, as a participant of a podcast, what do you think about the uh, theme turning talk into action? Well, yeah, they say it's easy to, to talk. I'm not so sure. But uh, yes, the whole the whole theme, as you say, of this year's dive in is about becoming an active ally for change. And I guess being active means actually instigating real change rather than just saying the right things, which is all too easy to do. Um, I think it's fair to say the industry has come a long, long way over the past few years on the issue of diversity and inclusion, but there's still a fair way to go. You've only got to look at figures like the gender pay gap to realise that the insurance industry hasn't cracked it just yet. Um, But thankfully, events like Dive In keep these issues front of mind for industry leaders, and we can keep hopefully pushing towards genuine inclusion within our industry. That brings us to the end of this week's Inside Podcast by Insurance News. Thank you once again to our panel, Terry McMullen, John Deeks and Wendy Pugh. Enjoy your week and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. We value your input. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Inside Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, on all your favourite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again next week.